thousands of workers swarm the streets of Los Angeles. Construction workers are getting a raise thanks to the Biden administration. And the AMPTP says, let's try this one more time. I'm Harold Phillips, and this is Labor Week for August 12, 2023. Powered by the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Come on, it's Welcome to another episode of Labor Week, featuring a roundup of the top worker and organized labor headlines from the past week. As always, you'll find links to the articles I mentioned in the show notes or at laborweek.org. The big labor news of the week was thousands of striking municipal workers hitting the streets in Los Angeles for a one-day strike, with SAG-AFTRA, WGA, and Unite Here workers, among others, swelling their ranks. The Associated Press reported that picket lines went up before dawn at Los Angeles International Airport and other locations, and a large rally was held later in the morning downtown at City Hall. SEIU Local 721 told the AP that mechanics, engineers, and airport custodians were among the more than 11,000 L.A. City workers who were striking. The union said its members voted to authorize the one-day walkout because the city has failed to bargain in good faith and engaged in labor practices that restricted employee and union rights. Local 721 Chief of Staff Gilda Valdez said the union approved a one-year deal with the city in November of 2020, with the understanding they would return to the bargaining table in January to negotiate over a number of specials, or smaller specific proposals. The city reneged on the promise to negotiate on these issues, though, and, quote, only gave us some small agreements that basically amounted to peanuts, unquote. The union filed an unfair labor practice claim with the City of Los Angeles Employee Relations Board over the issue, along with previous claims filed over several other issues. Valdez said, quote, This strike is a very strong message. Come to the table. Unquote. Let's stay in Los Angeles, where hotel workers have had enough of hotel security roughing them up. The Los Angeles Times reports that Monday, hundreds of hotel workers rallied in downtown Los Angeles to protest what their union described in a labor complaint as a pattern of violent incidents and property destructions at picket lines where workers have been on strike. Workers and their supporters have been attacked multiple times as they protested outside properties in Los Angeles and Orange Counties, Unite Here Local 11 alleged in a complaint filed with the National Labor Relations Board. One such incident was caught in a video circulated online over the weekend. The video shows footage of security personnel pushing and tackling picketing hotel workers after a rally march Sunday in Santa Monica that ended at the Fairmont Miramar Hotel and Bungalows. And, you know, there is one other little industrial action centered in Los Angeles right now. Well, two when you think about it. I'm talking, of course, about the Writers Guild of America strike, which passed the 100-day mark this week, and the SAG-AFTRA strike. You might remember last week I told you the Hollywood studios and streaming companies were finally coming back to the bargaining table with the Writers Guild. Well, the results of last Friday's meeting were less than satisfactory. The Hollywood Reporter shared the news that members of the WGA have called the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers' attempt to restart negotiations, quote, insulting and out of touch, unquote. According to the Writers Guild memo to its members after the Friday meeting, 
The AMPTP wants to use the deal that the Directors Guild of America agreed to earlier this summer as a template for shared issues like pay increases, and it expressed a willingness to increase their offer on a few writer-specific TV minimums, but not on core issues like the minimum size of writers' rooms or success-based residuals, among other topics. News broke on Thursday that the AMPTP is again offering to restart talks. Deadline.com reports the WGA told its members Carol Lombardini, president of the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, quote, has asked the WGA negotiating committee to meet with AMPTP negotiators on Friday. We expect the AMPTP to provide responses to WGA proposals, unquote. Remember how I said the WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes are centered in Los Angeles? That's because, as NPR reports, these strikes in the entertainment industry are having an effect in areas across the country, such as Montana and Georgia. Even so, Los Angeles' economy is being hit hard. The Wrap reports that Todd Holmes, a professor of entertainment industry management at California State Northridge, says the first 100 days of the Hollywood writers' strike has cost the California economy $3 billion dollars. The estimates are based on an analysis of the 2007 Writers Guild of America strike, which cost the state 37,700 jobs and sucked $2.1 billion from the state's economy. Holmes built off of that $2.1 billion and adjusted it for inflation and other factors to come up with his ballpark on the impact of the current strikes so far. The actual figure is likely higher, the report said, because SAG-AFTRA joined the WGA on the picket lines in July, which did not happen during the last walkout. Speaking of SAG-AFTRA, the Actors and Broadcasters Union says it's working, quote, towards the protection of the reality performers, unquote, in an effort to end, quote, the exploitative practices that have developed in this area and engage in a new path to union coverage, unquote. Deadline reports the announcement comes after Bethany Frankel, a former star of The Real Housewives of New York City, suggested that reality performers should go on strike in order to win residuals for their work and to combat abuses in the workplace. Reality show hosts, but not contestants, are covered by the Guild's network code, which is not a part of its strike against films and scripted TV shows. In other entertainment news, visual effects crews at Marvel Studios have had enough. Over the past year, we've heard story after story about Marvel Studios' systematic overworking and underpayment of visual effects workers on its blockbuster movies and streaming series. Vulture reports that on Monday, a group of more than 50 on-set VFX employees filed a petition with the National Labor Relations Board to be represented by the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, or IOTSE. The workers are asking for the election to be held as early as August 21st. This marks the first time visual effects professionals have banded together to demand the same rights, wage protections, and professional watchdog oversight enjoyed by workers in almost every other segment in the entertainment industry. Australia's Rugby League Player Association announced Thursday that it has reached an in-principle agreement with the National Rugby League in a collective bargaining agreement. The Guardian reports all industrial action taken by the players, including the game day media boycott announced last month, has been lifted immediately. The deal comes after 20 months of tension between the RLPA and Rugby League. Financial issues had been resolved last year, but the parties had remained at loggerheads over issues including access to and ownership of player data, allocation of funds to the RLPA's programs, and the length of the season. 
Rugby players are rough-and-tumble folks, and so are construction workers. How's that for a transition? This week, the Biden administration had great news for construction workers when it unveiled a major change in the 1931 Davis-Bacon Act. The Washington Post reports that the rule change aims to restore an old definition of the prevailing wage, scrapped by President Ronald Reagan in the 1980s, that requires employers to pay construction workers the equivalent of wages made by at least 30% of workers in a given trade and locality. Unveiling the rule change in Philadelphia, Vice President Kamala Harris said, quote, Many workers are paid much less than they deserve, much less than the value of their work, and not just by a little. I'm here today to announce that we are updating this law and giving workers across the nation a raise. The AFL-CIO says the rule change will not only strengthen prevailing wage laws, but it will also improve legal protections from wage theft for more than one million workers on federal construction projects. In manufacturing news, United Auto Workers President Sean Fain is an internet superstar. Well, he was before this week. But this week, a video of his reaction to a contract proposal from automaker Stellantis went viral. Fortune reports Fain called a lowball contract offer by Stellantis, quote, a slap in the face, unquote, and, quote, an insult to our members' hard work over the last four years, unquote. Then, Fain threw the printed contract proposal in a trash can, saying, quote, this is where it belongs, in the trash, because that's what it is, unquote. Fain was sending a message to Stellantis, but also to the other big three automakers. As Nicholas Golden points out in Fortune, the UAW normally negotiates with one automaker, and that agreement becomes the template for contracts with the other two. This time around, the UAW is negotiating with all three, and if the UAW votes to strike, they could strike against all of them. The British Columbia Labor Relations Board has ordered Coca-Cola Canada bottling twice to stop using workers it paid to do the work of striking members of Teamsters Local 213 at its bottling plant in Richmond. Nevertheless, the TIE reports that union members say they caught the company bringing in workers through an impromptu surveillance operation they dubbed a flying picket line, which involved Teamsters covertly tailing company trucks and speaking with drivers and passengers. They found the company has flown in employees from as far as Quebec. Don't tell me unions can't make it in the South. The United Steelworkers announced that after a lengthy struggle, members in Macon, Georgia have voted to ratify a comprehensive four-year contract that covers approximately 325 workers at Kumho Tire. WGXA reports the contract includes annual wage improvements and pay raises, extra time off, and a joint health and safety committee all while ensuring the continuation of quality health care and other benefits. The owner of a meat business in western Michigan was fined this week after a 17-year-old worker lost his hand in a grinder. The Associated Press reports the teenager lost his hand in 2019 while working at Us Guys Processing in Sarnak, Michigan. The owner of the company was investigated for employing a minor in hazardous work and not getting work permits, and pleaded guilty. The amount of the fine was... $1,143 for the loss of someone's hand. $1,143. But defense attorney Howard Vandenhoevel said the boy was warned to never put his hand inside the grinder. So there's that.
There's plenty more labor news to share in this episode of Labor Week. But before we move on, I have to get serious. And we have to have the talk. You know, the money talk. I'm getting so serious, in fact, that I'm taking off my news guy voice for a minute. <clears throat> Hi, folks. Podcasts are a great, low-cost way to get information out to people. But make no mistake, there are costs associated with the production of Labor Week. Not to you, of course. You get to listen to the show for free. On my end, though... There are subscription fees, hosting costs, and the sheer amount of time it takes to comb the internet every day to find the biggest stories as they break. That's why I'm going to ask you right now to visit the support tab at laborweek.org to find out how you can keep Labor Week going week after week, either by making a one-time donation through PayPal or becoming a sponsor through Patreon and gaining access to the full show every week. Oh, wait, did I not mention that you're not getting the full show right now? Yeah. Here's the deal. There are a lot of labor stories each week, far more than I can fit into a half hour or so podcast. That doesn't mean I don't record all the headlines before I edit the show, though. Patrons will get access to the full show, however long that ends up being, plus some other perks I've got brewing in the back of my mind. So, if you want to keep Labor Week going and gain access to even more Labor Week, visit the support tab at laborweek.org. That's it. That's the pitch. Now let's get back to the news. You ready, news guy? Ready. All right, here we go. Come on, Amazon, which is it? Do you employ your drivers or don't you? A report from Vice and Motherboard shows that Amazon hired at least two union-busting consulting firms specifically to prevent its drivers from joining the International Brotherhood of Teamsters over the course of 2022. The filings are particularly notable because they show, specifically, that Amazon is trying to squash unions among the delivery drivers that it repeatedly stresses are employees of third-party companies not Amazon itself. The Teamsters have argued that Amazon is in fact a joint employer of the drivers and is using its contractor status as a way to evade responsibility. Some drivers Amazon couldn't stop from unionizing extended their picket line to a fulfillment center in California's Central Valley this week. Marketscreener.com reports the workers have picketed 10 Amazon warehouses around the country during their seven-week strike including facilities in California, New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Michigan, and Georgia. The 84 workers in Palmdale joined Teamsters Local 396 and bargained a contract with Amazon's delivery service partner, Battle Tested Strategies, or BTS. No, not that BTS. In April, Despite the absolute control it wields over BTS and workers' terms and conditions of employment, Amazon has refused to recognize and honor the union contract. Kind of like what we just talked about in the last story, isn't it? In other transportation news, the Associated Press reports that dock workers with the International Longshore and Warehouse Union Canada voted 75% in favor of a contract offer, ending weeks of turbulent job action that stopped billions of dollars worth of goods from being shipped in Canada. The dispute had shut down ports on Canada's west coast for nearly two weeks. 
500 locomotive engineers employed by New Jersey Transit, or NJT, began receiving ballots in the mail this week from the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen, or BLET, a division of the Teamsters, seeking authorization to call a strike at the nation's third-largest commuter railroad. New Jersey Transit's engineers have been seeking a new contract since October 2019, and the contract dispute has been in mediation for nearly three years. Ballots authorizing a strike are due by Thursday, August 31st. And this will come as a shock to all of you, I'm sure. UPS job searches have surged since the Teamsters deal has boosted wages. Surprise! Forbes reports, on Bloomberg's report, that there was a 50% increase in searches for UPS, or United Parcel Service, on the online jobs board Indeed, suggesting that increased benefits have made the company a more attractive workplace. Gee, you think? Let's talk about another kind of transportation. The Stand reports that a study released last week by the University of Washington Information School has found racial bias in Uber and Lyft processes for terminating drivers, arbitrary and excessive terminations of drivers, and a widespread failure to inform drivers of the reason for their termination or conduct meaningful investigations prior to termination. Researchers also found something that will surprise no one listening to this program, unless you're a Littler-Mendelssohn attorney doing opposition research, that is. Under Washington's first-in-the-nation just cause protections against unfair termination for Uber and Lyft drivers, 80% of terminated drivers were reinstated after receiving culturally competent union representation. In other gig worker news, England's Work and Pensions Secretary Mel Stride caused controversy last week by suggesting workers over 50 should take up food delivery work. The Guardian talked to a 57-year-old Deliveroo courier based in London who told reporter Jim Bartholomew, quote, I'm just shattered, unquote. Remember, you'll find a link to the full interview in the show notes or at laborweek.org. On the other end of the spectrum, in professional worker news, Bloomberg is reporting the National Labor Relations Board is planning to formally accuse Wells Fargo of violating federal labor law at an Oregon call center. A regional official at the NLRB has determined the company illegally imposed a rule prohibiting employees from distributing pro-union literature unless management first approved it, and removed pro-union literature from non-work areas on its property. Unless there is a settlement, the official will issue a complaint against the company on behalf of the Labor Board's general counsel. Moving to the public sector, after more than five years of negotiations, the American Federation of Government Employees' National Veterans Affairs Council and the Department of Veterans Affairs have reached an agreement on a new contract that preserves and expands critical protections for nearly 300,000 VA workers and aims to expand access to care for veterans. According to the Federal News Network, the turning point in negotiations came in March, when a federal arbitrator ruled in AFGE NVAC's favor and ordered the VA to cease its pattern of bad-faith bargaining. The new contract streamlines the hiring process, provides greater clarity on job requirements, and makes it easier for employees to move between positions. 5,000 research fellows at the National Institutes of Health are unionizing with the United Auto Workers for better compensation and stronger benefits, protection from workplace harassment, support for international workers, and increased funding. The Nation reports that the Biden administration's response to this union drive was to claim the fellows who did most of the actual research aren't actually federal employees. 
I say was, because on Friday, NIH Workers United announced on their Twitter, um, X, I guess, that the NIH is no longer objecting to the workers' union vote. Dozens of postal workers and their supporters rallied on Chicago's South Side Tuesday, calling on USPS prosecutors and elected officials to protect their safety. ABC7 Chicago reports there have been a growing number of violent attacks on mail carriers in the Chicago area, and the National Association of Letter Carriers said so far there have been more than 90 attacks involving letter carriers in the city in the past 12 months, including one vehicle break-in just this past weekend. NALC President Brian Rinfro said the labor union is also calling on elected officials to step up when it comes to enforcing postal workers' protection. Last week at a New Hampshire campaign event, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said he would slit the throats of federal bureaucrats on his first day in office. The Intercept reports that in response, AFGE President Everett Kelly said, quote, Governor DeSantis's threat to start slitting throats of federal employees is dangerous, disgusting, disgraceful, and disqualifying. These public servants deserve respect and commendation from our nation's leaders. No federal employee should face death threats from anyone, least of all someone seeking to lead the U.S. government. Unquote. In education news, the University of Michigan's provost, Lori McCauley, said in an email to graduate employees organization members that the university will start replacing graduate student instructors and staff assistants that continue striking in the fall 2023 semester. MLive.com reports the university may hire new faculty to replace non-working instructors or assign alternate teachers to fulfill teaching duties. The Graduate Employees Organization has been on strike since March 29th, seeking an annual wage of about $38,000 for each of its members, among other items on its platform. The union of about 2,300 graduate student instructors and staff assistants has consistently represented the strike as fighting for a wage that allows members to live in Ann Arbor. A lot can happen in a week. I had just finished recording last week's episode of Labor Week when more than 1,700 nurses at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital in New Brunswick, New Jersey went out on strike for improved pay, better staffing, and a cap on medical insurance costs and co-pays. The Economic Times reports the situation at Robert Wood Johnson has been simmering for months, with contract negotiations ultimately stalling. A tentative agreement presented to the union was voted down last week, and the hospital received a 10-day strike notice in response. Tapinto.net reports that representatives for the hospital and nurses, represented by United Steelworkers 4-200, went back to mediation on August 9th, but Nurses Union President Judy Danella said the latest proposal was similar to the one the nurses voted down a few weeks before they went on strike. Resident doctors in Nigeria planned a nationwide protest over unmet demands on Wednesday. The Grio reported the protest became necessary, quote, to press home our demands, which have been largely neglected by our parent ministry and the federal government, unquote. According to Dr. Innocent Orji, president of the Nigerian Association of Resident Doctors, in a letter to the country's Ministry of Health, Orji announced on Wednesday that the protest would be suspended, but that the doctor's strike will continue. On Channel's television, he said the NARD's National Executive Council would review the decision again in 72 hours. Massage therapists at a franchised Hand and Stone location in North Florida voted to unionize last week in what is believed to be the first successful union drive by massage therapists in the state. But they faced opposition from their employer before they achieved their victory. 
Orlando Weekly reports a, quote, union avoidance, unquote, professional with the labor pros, a consultancy firm in Orlando that specializes in convincing workers not to unionize, was hired by the massage studio, but they held strong and voted for their union anyway. Before we leave the healthcare segment of our show, I want to bring your attention to a report from the AP that shines light on data showing American healthcare workers now suffer more non-fatal injuries from workplace violence than workers in any other profession, including law enforcement. Healthcare workers racked up 73% of all non-fatal workplace violence injuries in 2018, the most recent year for which figures are available, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Los Angeles wasn't the only city in the U.S. that saw thousands of workers marching in the streets this week. Hospitality workers rallied Thursday on the Las Vegas Strip to call attention to ongoing contract negotiations for higher pay and better benefits for food service workers at T-Mobile Arena. The Associated Press reports that in a statement ahead of the rally, the Culinary Workers Union said servers, dishwashers, cooks, and bartenders who work in the arena have been locked in contract negotiations for nearly a year with their employer, Levy Premium Food Service. The workers say they want a fair contract that will ensure one job is enough to provide for their families. Over a thousand members of the union packed the walkways near the arena, with the crowd mostly dressed in red spilling into Las Vegas Boulevard. Last week I told you that 92% of the workers at Powell's Books in Portland, Oregon voted to authorize a strike. On Friday, the workers' union, ILWU Local 5, posted a message on their Twitter... or X... You know what? I'm just going to keep calling it Twitter, no matter what Elon says. On their Twitter account, wishing pals a, quote, Happy No Labor Day, unquote, and announcing the workers will be holding a one-day strike on September 4th. KPTV reports the strike will span all pals locations and that, at present, pals employees continue to operate without a contract since its expiration on June 7th. And now we have to talk about Starbucks. On August 7th, Starbucks Workers United held a National Day of Action, urging customers to, quote, adopt a non-union Starbucks store by holding flyering actions and engaging with customers. Starbucks Workers United reported on its Twitter page, you hear me, Elon? I said Twitter, that over a thousand customers in 332 stores in 32 states pledged to join the fight. On the same day, the Starbucks Union is Calling bus tour reached Seattle. The stand reports that workers and community allies gathered for a rally at Pike Place Market, home of the first Starbucks store, to support Starbucks workers and build public awareness about the company's relentless union-busting campaign. Then, the following day, hundreds of baristas and supporters converged in front of Starbucks Seattle corporate headquarters to protest the company's union-busting. Starbucks workers were joined by U.S. Representative Pramila Jayapal, Washington State Labor Council President April Sims, and others. There was more bad news for Starbucks as the week continued. Tuesday, a U.S. appeals court rejected the company's challenge to a ruling requiring it to rehire the Memphis Seven. The Guardian reports the three-judge panel said that by firing the workers last year, Starbucks likely discouraged other employees from exercising their rights under U.S. labor law. Quote, Fear of retaliation will exist unless the Memphis Seven, apparently terminated for their union support, are reinstated, unquote. Circuit Judge Danny Boggs wrote for the court. 
Then Thursday, a National Labor Relations Board judge ruled the company illegally fired a Michigan employee because she engaged in union activism and participated in a U.S. Labor Board proceeding. Sound familiar? Bloomberg Law reports the ruling upholds an administrative law judge's October 2022 ruling against Starbucks for firing the worker, which was the first of 21 decisions finding that the company committed unfair labor practices. If you want my advice, Starbucks, not that you're likely to take it, just get it over with. Voluntarily recognize Starbucks Workers United and sit down at the bargaining table because you keep losing. And the workers keep winning. Check the Patreon feed for a roundup of all the Starbucks Workers United victories this week. In the tech sector, Google subcontractor Accenture PLC has fired more than two-thirds of its Google Help staffers, 80 of the 119, for their unionizing efforts with Alphabet Workers United. People's World reports the firings began two months after the workers announced their organization drive, and a month after they filed union election authorization cards with the National Labor Relations Board's San Francisco office. The Alphabet Workers Union promptly filed a complaint alleging retaliation with the NLRB, pointing out Google and Accenture are joint employers. Just two weeks before Accenture fired its workers, the NLRB ruled another subcontractor, Cognizant, was a joint employer with Google of YouTube music workers. eBay has lost its effort to invalidate the TCG Player Union. Syracuse.com reports the National Labor Relations Board rejected the company's request on Thursday. As we told you last week, eBay and TCG Player had refused to acknowledge the workers' union since they won it in March and engaged in tactics designed to impede or delay workers' ability to negotiate for a fair contract. In a <clears throat> tweet on Saturday, the TCG Player Union announced that eBay and TCG Player have recognized the union and committed to bargaining. Finally. Some technology companies get it right, though. AL.com reports that more than 70 employees, a majority of AT&T in-home experts working in Birmingham, Huntsville, and Mobile, Alabama, formally unionized by signing union authorization cards to join the Communication Workers of America. On Monday afternoon, AT&T voluntarily recognized the union. In-home experts sell AT&T services and products to customers who get set up with the company's internet services in their home. Let's take a look at some of the articles, reports, and think pieces focused on working people that have gained attention over the last week. In a wide-ranging interview with Northwest Labor Press, National Labor Relations Board General Counsel Jennifer Abruzzo discusses her vision for the agency and the progress she's made so far in revitalizing it. Remember that story about the massage therapists who had to deal with the union avoidance professional? Check out the Orlando Weekly's profile on The Labor Pros, the company that was brought in to try and bust that union effort. Wilfred Chan writes a stunning profile in The Guardian of states where predominantly Republican lawmakers are making quiet moves to roll back the alcohol service age so that kids who can't legally buy alcohol would be allowed to serve hard drinks to customers at bars and restaurants. In Labor Notes, John Capadano shared the tale of how 37 Teamsters turned their backs on an abusive UPS manager in the Boston area and how that stunning show of solidarity made the bullying manager back down. Before we go, let's take a moment to look back at some of the events in labor history this week. On August 7th, 
1890, American labor leader, activist, and feminist Elizabeth Gurley Flynn was born. On August 9, 1979, young women workers at the YH Trading Company in Seoul, South Korea, staged a sit-in. August 10th marks the anniversary of the Airline Pilots Association affiliating with the American Federation of Labor. And in a look ahead, you may remember that last week I told you about public workers in San Jose, California, taking a strike authorization vote. Well, get ready, San Jose. It might be your turn. The San Jose Spotlight reports that as many as 4,500 city workers will strike starting August 15th. Their union made the official announcement Monday morning at San Jose City Hall after 99% of the unionized workers voted in favor of striking. August 15th may also see teachers in Youngstown, Ohio on strike. The Youngstown Education Association filed an intent to strike or picket notice Tuesday with the Ohio State Employment Relations Board and the Youngstown City School Board. WKBN reports the union's announcement it will go on a 10-day strike comes after the YEA declared an impasse in negotiations with the school board. And that's Labor Week for August 12, 2023. Did I miss anything? Well, become a sponsor through Patreon and listen to the full show. If you already did that and I still missed a story from this week, let me know. Email me at news at laborweek.org or find me on Facebook and Twitter at laborweek. See what I did there with the at? As always, you'll find links to the articles mentioned in this edition of Labor Week in the show notes and at laborweek.org. Looking to take a deeper dive into some of these stories? You'll probably find it in one of the nearly 200 shows in the Labor Radio Podcast Network, like We Rise Fighting. Find out more about the Labor Radio Podcast Network and find your new favorite podcast, besides this one, at laborradionetwork.org. Labor Week is produced and edited by me, Carol Phillips, under a SAG-AFTRA micropod agreement. Our music is from Batitudes, Joe Hill Punk Exposure, Find out more about Batitudes at facebook.com slash Batitudes. Check the link in our show notes. I'll see you next week.